on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we dig into a meaty topic in the beautiful game. And today we're focusing our attention on one of the true giants of the European game, 36-time Eredivisie and four-time European Cup champions Ajax. The Amsterdamers have typically sat at or near Europe's top table, and in 2018-19 they came within a hair's breadth of making the Champions League final, with a team led by renowned manager Eric Ten Hag, might have heard of him, and a roster of players who would subsequently command huge transfer fees. This season, however, things aren't so rosy. They've endured their worst start to a season since 1964. They sit 14th in the league with just a single win to their name. And this past Sunday, their home match against Feyenoord was abandoned with the visitors 3-0 up after fans threw fireworks and flares on the field. Riot police with tear gas were required to disperse the dissatisfied fans and the game had to be concluded behind closed doors this past Wednesday. And Ajax lost 4-0 in that game in the end. So how did we go from a talented packed team on the edge of glory to performances and behaviour that belies the famous name? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today to help answer those questions and hopefully many more, it's Taylor Rocco. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. It takes a lot to make Manchester United look like an efficient and well-run club, but we have Ajax to make us feel better. Thank you to Ajax. Oh, there's a nice preview of what's to come in this here episode. Mm -hmm. Very nice indeed. Joining us to discuss it, uh, we have Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe, or as they say in Holland, hello, Joe. I I love the Dutch tie-in there, Ryan. Um, I'm just wondering how much Taylor had to pay you extra for this show to not do the Michael Caine quote in the intro. It was a great intro. You set the stage really well. I just know what to expect from Ryan Bailey, and now yeah. I didn't get it, and I'm very confused. I didn't say the quote, but you know I'm thinking about it all the time, and that's what matters really to me, to be honest. Fine, fine. That works for me. All right, so, um, so Joe... Ajax, there's a there's a lot to unpack in this show, but Ajax essentially the TLDR is they're in a bit of a pickle, and it's kind of of their own making, is it not? Yes, that is absolutely the TLDR. Diving into this topic, which felt especially relevant after you mentioned it, Ryan, the game against Feyenoord, one of Ajax's biggest rivals, one of the big three in the Netherlands, where Ajax really have been the chief of that big three for a long time. That game had to be suspended after Ajax were already 3-0 down. This has been their worst start in the Eredivisie in an incredibly long time. It doesn't look like the same team, and it's not really, both because Ajax continues to move talent in and out of their squad at a ridiculously high rate, but also because so many things in their front office and on the managerial side have changed not just once, but really multiple times yeah. now since they make that run to the Champions League semifinal in the 2018-19 season. There's a lot to this topic, but the TLDR, you said it, Ryan, like things are not good for this club right now. Yes, and a little bit more background uh, there. Before we started recording, Joe and I were both basically just discussing how we have notes all over the place. We feel a little bit jumbled. We feel like there are 400 different things to talk about, which I think is a good representation of the problems at Ajax. It's not just one thing or two things. It is a whole litany of things that come together to have this giant club 
have this poor of a start to the season. Uh, a very good quote uh, in my mind as an introduction comes from Dutch journalist Sjord Musu. Yep. Uh, wrote the following. You got that one, Joe? Yep. Uh, wrote the following. Uh, no one is really the boss at the club at the moment. And at the same time, everyone is a little bit. That feels very representative of how things have gone wrong for Ajax. Although you have had people who were the boss or the bosses who are no longer there for varying reasons. And that also plays a pretty sizable part. Does indeed. No Bruce Springsteen in charge. Okay, we've got that much. Taylor, what, um, can, can we just pull back a little bit? I hate the, that that made me laugh that hard. Go ahead. Yes, yes. For the context of sure. this team, mm-hmm. how important is Ajax as a European yes. powerhouse on, on the sort of the, the picture of European soccer? They are a huge sure. name, are they not? They absolutely are. Going back to winning three European Cups, uh, being the inspiration for total football, you have uh, Rhinus Michaels, Renus Michel, however many different ways you want to pronounce that as their their football genius, Johan Cruyff playing for him. Uh, Michel then goes to Barcelona, and I think you can trace Barcelona's entire playing style and philosophy to that move, and then to Johan Cruyff going there as a player, Johan Cruyff going there as a manager, uh, them having continued European successes, uh, La Liga successes, uh, excuse me, that would be Barcelona, and then for Ajax along the way, just continuing to be a sort of ever-present fixture at the top of the Dutch league, uh, less so in the Champions League as time has gone on, largely due to financial constraints and just a, a lack of money in the Dutch league compared to other leagues. But they have remained a, a, a competitor, certainly in the Dutch league, but at times in the Champions League, as you talked about when they made that deep run. And the biggest thing would be player development. How many players have come through that Ajax system and gone on to bigger and better things or stayed at Ajax and had very good careers? It's just a huge list of players who have been influenced by the club or have played for the club or have managed the club along the way. They just have roots in so many different players, different teams, different leagues around the world. And they've been an ever-present fixture, as I said. So for them to be in this position, flirting with relegation is not a thing we ever would have expected from Ajax. Yeah, because of how old and widespread soccer is, I think one of the unique things about the sport is that there's like this romantic element to it. We talked yeah. about on a recent episode the, the idea that every game kind of becomes a story, and that applies to every sport, but it's not just the games, but it's the people. And Taylor, you mentioned so many of those people, Johan Cruyff, probably the single most famous person attached to Ajax. But I mean, now there are tons and tons of famous figures in and around the soccer world that have ties to Ajax. One of the reasons why, as a, as a neutral, like I don't, I don't really have any vested interest in any particular European club. As a neutral, one of the reasons why I've been drawn to Ajax is... That romanticism, like there is something romantic about this club, even as someone that's never been in the Netherlands, like I, I've never set foot in that nation. And yet I still even have a little bit of an understanding, even before doing the research for this episode of what that club means, both to the people in Amsterdam and to the Netherlands as a whole, to the national team, to European soccer and how soccer spread from a lot of these countries to the rest of the world. They've defined so much of how we and how I really view this yep. sport and, and sort of how I feel about it. And so for this club to be struggling, I don't think they're going to be relegated. But the fact that we're even talking about that related to this club shows how quickly things have spiraled out of control for them. Yeah. And and to go off of that, one more thing would just be that whenever we get listener questions about best run clubs, most well-run clubs, best clubs from a development standpoint or an academy standpoint or, or talent identification standpoint, we always feature Ajax at some point on that list, if not at the top, then near the top. Uh, and, and I think... 
that the situation has become what it is is just so staggering to me because they are, in my mind, this really efficient, well-run, smart club who have an identity, who know how they want to play. And I do think the loss of that identity in the last couple seasons is a huge part of how they have kind of come to this precarious position. I think you're right, Joe. The talent they have still in that squad is enough to very much get them out of those relegation threatened places. I feel like they will end up finishing closer to the top of the table than the bottom, but it's just still shocking that a club that we think of as being just so consistent, so steady is in actuality, so chaotic behind the scenes. Is it fair to say Taylor that most clubs aren't defined by one person, but arguably Ajax has been in its modern era, that person being Johan Cruyff, who mm-hmm. many of us soccer fans view as, view as this kind of ephemeral flash yeah. of brilliance from the black and white soccer TV watching days, mm-hmm. but had had influence at this club right up until his passing in 2016. Oh, yeah. and in fact, has hired or oversaw the hiring of some of the people we're going to talk about today as well. Yeah, exactly. I think like, Overmars was his sort of handpicked appointment with limitations for how he wanted him to operate and then how he could grow into the role. But yes, I mean, going back to his time as a player, and then lest we forget, even shaping their sort of approach to things when they don't uh, give him the deal he wants as he is near the end of his career. So Johan Cruyff leaves and goes and plays for Feyenoord. Uh, there are travels <laughs> and wins them the league. <laughs> so a reminder that don't make Johan Cruyff mad. Uh, then as a manager, And even after he leaves the club as a manager, when Louis van Gaal comes in, wins the UEFA Champions League in the 94-95 season, even that success and his time in charge, van Gaal, is framed from the context of his rivalry with Cruyff and how they have different philosophies and different ideologies and agree on certain things, disagree on others. And so even van Gaal's successes are viewed within the context of his rivalry with Johan Cruyff. And so for him to loom so large and have such strong connections going back to post-war Netherlands. And I think like he grew up on the bombed out streets of Amsterdam, like a mile away from the stadium. Uh, I think Johan Cruyff is the person who you most think of when it comes to Ajax. He is sort of the the figure who looms large. I mean, lest we forget when the unrest happens this past weekend, it's at the Johan Cruyff Arena. It was indeed. Now, Joe, obviously this team has won three of the last five Eredivisie titles, not the last one, final being the current holders. But uh, as we mentioned, they came within so a very small distance of making the Champions League final <laughs> in 2019. I, I mean, I remember watching that game with some Tottenham fans who were delighted with the outcome of that semi-final. But this this was a really, really good team of players who have gone on to make command huge transfer yeah. uh, fees elsewhere. Eric Ten Hag in charge of it. It looked like there was so much momentum behind that team at that point. That's the balance that Ajax has been able to strike throughout a lot of history, uh, certainly over the last... I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years as the tides have changed in terms of European soccer, where the Dutch league is is not really one of the first ones that an average soccer fan tends to think of, which then has ties to their status among other leagues in Europe and the, the revenues that are being generated and all of those kinds of things. But what Ajax has done so well and the balance they've struck is being able to identify high level players, bring them into their team, coupling those players with the talented youth academy signings that they have and building really, really good teams for two or three year cycles and then doing it all over again with almost no 
No, nothing in between, right? Sort of without skipping a beat. And that 2018-19 season was awesome. It was the best Ajax team in recent memory. You mentioned Eric Ten Hag. You had Andre Onana in goal, now currently of Manchester United. You had Mazraoui in the back line, now of Bayern Munich. You had Delict in the back line, has gone on to bigger and better clubs. Daily Blind, Nico Tagliafico, Argentine. <laughs> Ryan is doing a smirk. <laughs> Tagliafico, Argentine national team left back. Frankie de Jong for Barcelona. Hakim Ziyech. I mean, Dusan Tadic, you can run through the list. That squad was absurd, and I left out like three or four other names that a lot of folks would know. Then the next year, they go out and sign Edson Alvarez from Liga Mekis. They bring in Lissandro Martinez from Argentina. Sergio Dest from the Youth Academy come, becomes an integral part of that squad. All very good players, and they continue to churn through the squad. And, and that's been the thing. Like, they do this year after year after year. They bring players along. They have strong academy signings. They have a handful of veterans, and they mesh it together really well. The difficulty is, or one of the difficulties, when you have so much talent and your model is built on bringing players in, selling them off, refreshing, and doing that over and over again, you don't have a lot of margin for error, right? You don't often get to run it back and say, okay, we were so close this past year, we need one more piece, we'll keep everybody. That's not how it works for Ajax. They don't have that position on the global soccer ladder. And so when things go wrong, as they have been, Mark Overmars now over a year ago, getting let go for very understandable reasons, for very obvious reasons, sending inappropriate messages to female coworkers as their director of football. He's let go as he had to be, and other chaotic things start to happen in the front office. Eric Ten Hag goes to Manchester United. They bring in a new manager. They have to bring in a new director of football. Like all of these things start to happen, and the margins get smaller and smaller and smaller until now it looks like Ajax are, are pretty clearly operating outside of those margins. Agreed on everything there, Joe. And I think an interesting thing that I... I think I was less present in my mind before researching is how when you talk about like the cyclical nature of Ajax and how they have these fine margins, I didn't realize how cyclical it was that it's basically they have a very down season and then they respond accordingly. So after a down season back in like 2010, that's when Overmars is first brought in as a sort of shared responsibility director of football. Uh, then they have another down season. He's sharing that responsibility with, I believe, Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, when Bergkamp leaves after a bad start to the season, the manager sacks, Bergkamp is left go and that's when Overmars is given even more control and they sort of break their model Ajax they start paying players above what they had sort of capped as the limit for individual players they start paying more in transfer fees and they return to being this very successful club who are winning the Dutch league and then making uh, more and more progress in the Champions League but even prior to Ten Hag, there's a down season and there's a feeling of, uh oh, we've lost the way again. We need to kind of reconfigure this team, reconfigure the approach. Ten Hag is brought in in December of 2017, midseason, largely because of his connection to Mark Overmars. Uh, I believe Overmars hired him at Go Ahead Eagles when they were both there. And, and so there is in Mark Overmars a person who is sort of making all of the decisions or in sort of coordination with Edwin Vandersar, who was the CEO at IX. They're making all these big decisions together. And it feels like that it, it's an interesting like dilemma conundrum in that that seems to have been the root cause for a lot of the success and the a lot of yeah. success in the approach of IX at the same time when it's two individuals who seem to be making the decisions, sort of relying on their credentials, their reputations to open doors uh, and maybe not open doors for other people in the club. It also becomes those two who are doing so much. And when those two are no longer there, there's a pretty big void. And that void has yet to be filled that I'm not sure it can be filled. And it's kind of required IX to try to change the approach, try to change that philosophy 
And now we find ourselves in the position where fans are once again throwing flares onto the pitch. Indeed. There's some crazy details in this story, mm-hmm. Taylor. One of the craziest was I didn't realize Edwin van der Star, Edwin van der Sar, excuse me, joined the back office as director of marketing. That- Neither did I. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he, <laughs> he, he worked his way up. Uh, I do have done some interesting things. We'll talk about maybe some of like the ways that they get out of this, but it does feel like putting former players into positions where they can learn and grow their role. Again, it's been very good. At the same time, it has facilitated a feeling that it's it's an old boys network at the club and that it's a bunch of ex-players. It's a bunch of people steeped in the IX tradition who are making all the decisions. And, like there's no, there, there are probably better ways to put this, but what I like a word I kept going back to in my research was like sort of inbreeding that like they're not bringing in outside ideas. They seem there seems to be a a hostile approach to foreigners becoming involved in the club, foreign coaches, foreign identities, anything that will sort of move away from the IX mentality. But when you then are kind of just steeped in this one idea over and over again and you're appointing people who are also steeped in that tradition it doesn't necessarily lend itself to different types of thinking. And I think it overall becomes a club that are sort of stuck in one identity and have a hard time getting out of that identity or further evolving it. Yeah, you're right, Taylor. There probably was a better term to use than in reading. <laughs> um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig more into those problems, maybe look a bit more at the current state of the team as well. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. 
That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to The Big Thing. We're talking all things Ajax. Um, Joe, could you just give us sort of the lay of the land of this current team? Obviously not doing very well, started the season very poorly. Uh, who is the current manager? What's this crop of players looking like? Is this a kind? Are they still doing the Brighton thing? Are they going to sell a bunch of players off at the end of this season? Or is this crop like not quite there? I will not stand for calling that style of running a club the Brighton thing. <laughs> um, that's, that's not going to fly here for me, Ryan. Although Brighton are doing it quite well right now and better than Ajax, to be honest. Yeah, it's been their worst start since 1964 in the league. They are struggling in a lot of ways. They started well. They beat Heracles in the opener in the Eredivisie, and they have not won a league game since then. Granted, they've only played five. Still, things not good for Ajax, as we laid out in the first segment. Manager, Maurice Stein. So, 49-year-old Dutch manager, coached in the Netherlands for a long time before getting this gig, had a brief stop in Abu Dhabi, as it feels like a lot of managers now have a brief stop in the Middle East. It really does. And it I don't really know how does. I can't get through a Wikipedia entry without seeing a club that I have to yeah. click on and say, mm, okay, there Dude. we go. So, <laughs> pausing for a moment, we had the listener question episode uh, yesterday about... Uh, like managers from different countries or which countries have produced the most managers. And Joe, to your point, uh, like every single country has like some manager who's like, oh yeah, that guy, oh he's managing in the Middle East. Oh, he's managing in the Middle East. Oh, that guy's in the Middle East. It is a it is a very common occurrence these days. Well it said. Is. It is. So Stein had a had a restop in Abu Dhabi back in 2019. Coach Sparta Rotterdam to sixth in the Eredivisie last year, which was a good season. Uh, they didn't play exactly in the Ajax mold, but when you bring in a coach to Ajax. They're not going to have a ton of macro input on the tactical idea. Everybody knows how Ajax is going to play, at least in the league. Maybe in the cup competitions outside of the Netherlands is where those managers start to have a little more influence. But Ajax don't have to worry about the Champions League this year, do they? They're in the Europa League. They drew 3-3 with Marseille in their first group stage game of the Europa League. Then missing out on the Champions League, I think, played a, a part in... What seems to me, at least as things stand right now, to be a slightly lackluster summer transfer window. And there's other reasons why, um, looking at some of the decision makers, that seems a bit lackluster. But in terms of the squad, it's still a good squad. I do not think it is miles ahead of where Feyenoord or PSV are at this point. PSV are having a phenomenal season where Ajax have five points from their game so far this year. PSV are a perfect six wins from six. They're at 18 points, the only team to have won every single game in the Eredivisie. There is a gap there. I don't think this Ajax squad is near, even even near the level of that 2018-19 team, or even where, uh, shoot, what would that have been, 2021, maybe under Eric Ten Hag, where you had Anthony on one wing. Things not gone great for Anthony for multiple reasons since then. I mean, you, you, that squad was really, really strong. This squad, still a good team that is capable, I think, of, of winning this league but maybe not a favorite. You got Steven Bergvine, who's a, a good player. You got Steven Berg, who is a good player as well. Brian Barbary, I, I really like as a talented young forward. He had 13 league goals last year and not a ton of minutes. I think he played 1,600, 1,700 minutes, somewhere in that range. Really good underlying numbers. Kenneth Taylor, young Dutchman fielder. I believe he's 21 years old, came through the Ajax Academy, still very, very much represents their way of doing things, has gotten a cap for the Netherlands. Like, there's quality in this team, 
but it's not quite where it's been. And this goes back to what I said earlier. The margins are really, really fine. If you have a transfer window or two with your Ajax and, and you don't hit on a really high chunk of those players and bring along a few academy kids that are ready to contribute now, you could be in a little trouble. And that seems like where Ajax are right now. Indeed, they are. So, Taylor, in the first uh, part of this episode, we mentioned mm-hmm. a name, Mark Overmars. Yeah. Um, but so- soccer fans of my vintage will know him as sort of an Arsenal legend, went on to Barcelona after that, won the won the Champions League and won several league titles uh, as a player at Ajax as well. So, you know, very highly celebrated as a player. Uh, and in post-career, uh, came in uh, and brought in by Johan Cruyff, as you mentioned. It seems to me like... The, the actions we mentioned, and, and Joe mentioned them as well, basically was, was let go for inappropriate messages and photos sent to numerous female employees. Photos taken from a bathroom stall, I believe at the stadium, if that tells you what type of photos they were. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to say. What, what I, uh, it's, it's basically very bad stuff there that went on with, with Mark Overmars. He seems to be the keystone, yep. almost the catalyst of all the events here. And uh, he did a lot of good at the club and is credited, is doing very well at Antwerp uh, for what it's worth at the moment, uh, by all accounts. Credited for his transfer acumen and bringing players uh, from South America, Ajax particularly. And as you mentioned earlier, Taylor, he's brought a lot of good, but also um, his, his mm-hmm. legacy might be detrimental overall to the club based yeah. on where it's going now. I think so for how it played out and then for what that represents. Because, yeah, Overmars, uh, basically, it comes to a head when he sends them to multiple female colleagues. Uh, and his response, reading his response, seems to be like, Unreal. I, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Like, it's it's a very, like, I didn't realize that was crossing a line, but now I do, and maybe yeah, I can shouldn't I, can have crossed I read the that quote? line. Please, there's, a, there's a few quotes. This was the one yeah. that I have in my notes. Quote, I am ashamed, period. Last week I was confronted with reports about my behavior and how this has come across to others. Um, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I'm sorry that your feelings were hurt is a, is a strong uh, response there from Overmars. But yeah, Overmars is the person who I think until that scandal was seen as, at least to outsiders, the, the kind of visionary person who had the, the exact right idea for how to go about recruitment, how to develop the squad, who to bring in as manager. Um, st- like, uh, excuse me, Ten Hag being a prime example of this. He's, not he wasn't he was somewhat well regarded but not supremely well regarded but he brings him in because of like ideas about philosophy and style and you see the result it has on the pitch over mars i think also very very heavily involved in talent identification largely because the ix scouting network seems pretty again it seems pretty old boy there's lots of rivalries there's lots of sort of individual relationships that go back years or decades and so you don't have a unified scouting approach or a unified scouting department he seems to have been the one who could bridge some of that or had relations with everybody so he could have good communication knew who to go for and then knew when to sell them on and he in partnership with edwin van der Sar, is critical in the way this club is able to identify talent, play them, get them playing really well, and then sell them on. Looking at their transfer market numbers for a moment, every single season they since over Mars uh, uh, takes his position, they're spending money. They're not spending Premier League money, but they're spending money. But it's dwarfed by the amount of money they're bringing in from player sales, and those players are then sold 
two or three years later for ridiculous returns. And and on top of that, as Joe already outlined, the development of, of youth players and the willingness to play them, that's a big part of why Eric Ten Hag was brought in because he had uh, background and had a belief in bringing through academy players. And you see that with the Young and with the Licht and other players as well. And, and so Overmars, I think, becomes a like representative of the Ajax identity at the same time that this was the not just a one-time incident, but the final incident in what had been a series of incidents for Overmars that were not reported. And I think that right there is a area of concern, as I understand it, for supporters, that there is a sort of inner circle, closed doors mentality when it comes to Ajax and how some of the decisions are made. And so often this club does have leaks, leaks about who's doing what, why things are happening, and it tends to be a lot of, uh, we're putting all the blame on this person publicly so we don't get fired. And there was a, I think, realization that this type of thing didn't get leaked, didn't get reported. And that shows that there are things happening in the club that weren't made public, that people weren't sort of privy to. But Overmars having this major role and then stepping down meant that there's a pretty gigantic void. And what I alluded to earlier, that he and Vandersar were sort of using their reputations, not in a negative way, but just they had the reputations, they had the connections to open doors, to have these kind of communications and these back and forth with big clubs, not just in Europe, but in South America specifically, when you look at how they went about scouting players and bringing players through. But they weren't really establishing a hierarchy or a structure behind them so that when those two aren't there anymore, Vandersar steps down after last season when they fail to qualify for the Champions League. There's a massive void and there's no real way to step into that. There's no logical uh, progression, logical system of promotion. And so you end up with a board that now has to kind of try to figure things out and they basically hit reset and try to go in a different direction this summer. Sven Mislintat comes in and that did not go well, has not gone well, and now I guess did not fully go well. Yeah, we'll get into Mislintat in a minute. Just one more note from me on on Overmars. Taylor, you've mentioned it a couple of times, but to explicitly lay out some of the challenges in terms of the lack of processes that were implemented at IAX under Mark Overmars. There's a really good piece in The Athletic from Simon Hughes, Carl Anka, I think Adam Crafton, and, and Charlotte Harper also contributed to the reporting there, if my memory serves correctly. But go check that piece out if, if you want to read a bit more about this topic. But one of the quotes that really stuck out for me in that article, because my perception of Overmars before doing this research, number one, tainted by what yeah. happened to him and why he left the club. Number two, and less important, but a little bit more related to the actual soccer side, is that I actually had been really good for a long yep. time when he was in and around the club, but it doesn't appear that Overmars created like any real sustainable processes. So the quote from the piece in The Athletic is, quote, rather than employ proper scouting and database management to keep an eye on players, Overmars conducted a lot of work via WhatsApp using his name and profile as a player to open doors rather than ensure those channels were open to others at Ajax. I think that's fascinating. Like that, that genuinely floored me. And maybe this was being done in other ways and other departments and Overmars wasn't touching really any of those things. But I, I'm shocked that Ajax have had as much success identifying talent as they have when it's just kind of, it, it sounds like at least according to this piece that it's just Overmars hopping in WhatsApp with agents yep. and making move like that, that blows my mind. That is such a really outdated, I guess, and, and not, um, sustainable or reliable method of recruiting. And yet Ajax have been so good for so long. Maybe part of the regression we're seeing 
is a natural outcome of that, that Overmars and, and company kind of managed to skirt around for a long time. And now the lack of processes are kind of catching up to them. Yeah. And exemplified by Joe, I appreciate the order in which you ranked like your understanding of Overmars, because it's worth noting that there are sections of supporters, supporters interviewed in different yeah. articles I read that want him back. That are just sort of like, yeah, we understand he made mistakes, but he made right the right choices for the club when it came to the talent on the field. And we want him back. That doesn't seem like it's going to Sometimes happen. Sometimes he said good text messages, apparently. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it, it's it's telling that even with that scandal, there is still this, I think, prevailing sentiment that, yeah, but he made a lot of the right on-field decisions, and so we wouldn't hate having him back if it meant that we stopped being terrible. Yeah. Uh, Joe, can we get into Sven Mislintat then, who was uh, let go as director Shibli. of football um, n- not long after the riots that occurred after the Feyenoord game. What, what's the deal there? Okay, so I'll, I'll run through the timeline just to really try and connect the dots here. So February 2022, Director of football, Mark Overmars, leaves his role after sending those messages that we talked about. He leaves, then Eric Ten Hag leaves in that summer of 2022. Ajax then bring in uh, a different manager, who's now gone. Ajax then also bring in Sven Mislintat as their new director of football in March of 2023. So what is that, like five months ago? Uh, There's a lot to the Sven Mislintat era. The background on Mislintat, former Borussia Dortmund chief scout, is credited although maybe these things don't look quite as good in hindsight now, but it's credited as being alongside Jurgen Klopp, one of the real uh, catalysts of that awesome Dortmund era where they sort of flipped the script in the Bundesliga, at least for a while. Then he moves to Arsenal, does not have nearly as much success there. Uh, History doesn't remember him as kindly in that stint, not least because he brings over some of his former Dortmund players, and that just feels a bit lazy, and that's generally frowned upon, at least when one of them is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and that one doesn't look too great. Then he goes to Stuttgart and kind of rebuilds his reputation, and then he goes to Ajax, and now this is when things really start getting wild. So he comes in, makes some moves, all that jazz. There's some chaos in the summer transfer window regarding Borna Sosa, and maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get to that in a second. Yep. Again, there's a lot to this. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll hand that one off to Taylor. But the one that stood out to me the most here is Ajax struggling uh, and, and they brought in Maurice Stein at this point and those two don't get along, Mislintat and Stein, even though Mislintat's involved in bringing Stein in in the first place. So there's some weirdness there. But after a draw against Fortuna Sittard, Stein was apparently asked how much input he had. So the manager was asked how much input he had into Ajax's summer transfer activity. The manager then said, quote, we as a staff put forward our ideas, but Mislintat has made different choices. Okay, Not ideal, right? Not ideal that he's saying that publicly because you would kind of hope that maybe you swallow your pride and everybody rose in the same direction and things, you know, can continue even though there are differences because differences like this do happen between managers and directors of football. Uh, But that's not a a great sign. But you think, okay, maybe things could be worse. And no, they could not. Because as it turns out, apparently Mislintat in this time is openly talking about firing Stein in the Ajax dressing room. So he barges in at some point in this this terrible (laughs) run of form into the locker room. Stein is not there. And he's sort of ranting to the players about how th- if things don't improve, Stein is going to be gone. And there was mixed reactions amongst the players. Some pushed back on that stuff. But uh, things were not great between those two. And that's not even touching some of the conflict of inter- in- interest transfer yeah. stuff that Miss Lintat's also involved in. Yeah, man. Yeah. Let, a few things to add on Miss Lintat <laughs> there. Because, man, there's... There's a lot here. Do we need the fire uh, truck for this, Taylor? We might, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think okay. the fire truck was mostly uh, on hand for the for the Overmars conversation. Okay. But with Mislintat, there was a really good conversation between uh, Gabriel Marcotti and Julian Laurent about this same topic, and they were going back to the Arsenal appointment and how 
uh, dumb that was. Not the Mislintat appointment itself, but even even Gazidis basically brings in Mislintat and Raul Sanlehi at the same time. And by all accounts, they have polar opposite personalities, polar opposite approaches. And the idea at Arsenal was, well, we'll let them bounce off of each other. And, and in that conflict, we will settle on the right idea. But in, in actuality, you just had open conflict. And that has become, I think, a tag that has followed Mislintat, that he is conflict oriented, that he is very fiery when uh, emotion overtakes and that he can be sort of emotionally irrational uh, when dealing with people that he doesn't necessarily agree with. And so that was the knock on him before he was uh, hired at IX. When he is hired, there's a sentiment of he he might not fit your philosophy so well, but OK, we'll see how this goes. And then to to Joe's point, sort of the way he's gone about things with with Steen, who, lest we forget, was appointed like after Miss Lintot took over. It's not as though that's a person Miss Lintot inherited. Uh, the manager when Miss Lintot is appointed is John Heitinga, Johnny Heitinga, who's an interim coach who got Ajax from fifth to third. Not a huge turnaround, certainly, but by all accounts was at least somewhat popular with the supporters for a struggling Ajax side. And the decision to not really entertain the idea of taking him on in a permanent basis, but letting him go. He's now an assistant, I forget, somewhere in England. Uh, but they, that starts a sort of feeling of you're getting rid of this guy who we kind of were OK with and also was consistency or was at least some connection to the past, but also the present. And then you bring in somebody who finished sixth with Sparta Rotterdam and the kind of writing on the wall there is did a lot with not a lot. And, and I think that sort of telegraphs what is to come for this Ajax team. Miss Lintot also, because they miss out on the Champions League, is basically immediately tasked with build us a contender for a limited amount of money. And a lot of that has to do with sales that I think Ajax sell, I think, 150 million, maybe to over 200 million this summer in, in departures. But that's a huge percentage of their squad is let go. They do invest. They spend a lot of money. But then you look at some of those acquisitions and they don't really have the Ajax DNA or the Ajax mentality stamped on them. A lot of spotlight is on uh, Chuba Akpom, who was scoring goals in the championship and, and had a very good season. But before that was sort of transfer listed and, and there wasn't a lot of hype around him. He's 27 years old. He could be like a Dusan Tadic. We spent money for a veteran to come in and shape this team, but he hasn't really been playing. I think a, a prime example of how things have gone wrong in the uh, acquisition department, Mislintat signed 12 players, 11 of them he paid transfer fees for. Uh, eight of those 11 started on the bench this past weekend, and only a few of them actually featured in the match. Uh, and Joe, I don't know if you saw the quote from Marco Van Basten about Mislintat's time in charge, uh, but when asked about their summer signings, Marco Van Basten, the Ajax legend, responded, the club did not resemble Ajax, it's more FC Amsterdam, which feels like a very Dutch burn of sorts. But I think the 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 idea there is just that this isn't an Ajax team. It doesn't feel like they're built in an Ajax identity. It feels like you brought in, and this is the idea of Ajax being very sort of Dutch-centric. Mislintat is German, and you brought in a German to steer this uh tr- like this I like this Dutch legend team. Uh, and now that they have a different approach to how they're going about recruitment and development and their playing style. It doesn't really feel like there's much Ajax there. And so all of that sets the stage for, as Joe said, a win to start the season 
And then no wins since then. They draw in their opener in the Europa League 3-3 against a weak Marseille team. And the key thing there is that they took the lead twice and then they conceded the lead twice. And so it feels like they can't hold a lead. They're not playing well. Um, I think... Joe talked about Mislintot talking to players about sacking the manager. He also, I think, threatened a few players uh, that they would be done with the club. Uh, and then Steen, before that game against Feyenoord, in his uh, pregame press conference, basically says, yeah, we cannot outplay them. They are a better team. We are hoping for a draw. And I think so supporters right away are feeling like it's shades of when David Moyes said, like, we aspire to play as good a football as Manchester City. And I think United fans did not love that sentiment. It felt to me like Ajax fans right there. That was the beginning or maybe not the beginning, but that was the moment that I think led to if things don't go well this weekend, there will be a response. Ajax go down one nil in nine minutes. They're three nil down at halftime, four nil down into the second half. No fighting spirit, a lack of ideas. There doesn't seem to be much belief. The tactics don't seem to be there. And so you get the fan response. Uh, and now we find ourselves in the situation we're in at present. Yeah, it's there's clearly a lot of Machiavellian stuff going on in the yeah. back end here. And it just goes to show, Taylor, the importance of harmony in the front office mm-hmm. at any team. Um, my, to bring it to AFC Wimbledon, because I haven't done that yet in this episode. Um, <laughs> That's also on the bingo card, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we, um, our CEO departed uh, uh, earlier this month, and it transpired because of um, very controversial, well, hateful comments made about a female employee uh, who was recorded doing so. And I was speaking to a friend about this and how that um, has such a detrimental effect on the whole sort of philosophy of the club, of the whole culture within the club. When someone from the top down, when that happens, you don't think the front office and the executives who sit behind desks has a big effect on the players on the field, but it really does. And another example there would be Manchester United as well. I talked to my, my father-in-law, a Man United fan, who says, oh, we need a new coach, we need a new player, we need that player, we need that player. You don't. You need to get rid of the toxic culture yep. in the back in the back of the club. That's what you really need. You've got all the good ingredients on the field and the technical staff. You need to change things in the back. And it, it seems like perhaps that's happening again here at Ajax, Joe. What I, what I just heard is that Ryan loves Johnny Evans. Is that is that basically what you meant there, Ryan? No, it, it's a good point, right? <laughs> like you you truthfully you need both high level players and good coaches and all these things. And you it also helps a lot to have a sustainable successful, healthy culture higher up in the organization, which it's very clear Ajax have not had. And that's, again, one of the most surprising things from doing this research, the success they've had in recent years with whatever has been going on and whatever has been tied to Mark Overmars and those kinds of things. It's hard to do. It's hard to sustain a club like Manchester United. Granted, they have way more competition to finish at the top of the league than Ajax do. And they're operating at not nearly the same advantage financially as Ajax are relative to most of that league, if not all of the league. Still, it, it is shocking and it is weirdly like impressive is probably not the right word, but I think people get the idea. But now we're seeing what can happen if everything starts to go wrong. Do any of us really think that Ajax are only as good at a, a one point per game pace? No, right? Like th- this squad is going to do more. They're going to do better, but it is inarguable that they have been working. These are people going to do their jobs. They've been working in a really, really poor environment, one that is worse now seemingly than it's been in a really, really long time. The one Mislintat, you know, kind of uh, nugget that, that I didn't get to too much is Borna Sosa, left back, good at the World Cup, comes in from Stuttgart, I believe, where Mislintat was before. It's a, it's a deadline day signing or basically right at the end of the window. And it comes out later on that there's a potential conflict of interest between Mislintat and the agents that help facilitate this move for Borna Sosa. 
And basically, this causes a whole stir. Miss Lintat has a company that these agents are invested in. I was wondering how much detail you were going to go with that's your joke. Because I've, I've, yeah. I've tried so hard. And it, and it feels... I understand why it's a story. I just want to be clear. It feels a little bit like a nothing burger to me. Of like, the agents have... Like, the agency that those agents are from has an ownership stake in a company that Miss Lintat also owns. But it, it, it feels tenuous but it still is representative of he has connections to people that when you're signing players and they're not working out it can suddenly feel like oh you only signed this guy because of some random connection versus when Overmars has connections and they work out it's oh he's a genius who has visionary ability to spot talent and bring them through sure sure it's it's also all the nuances like just boring as well so I don't want, I don't want to dive too far into that um, <laughs> yep, but, but that that conflict of interest or maybe it's not whatever it is there's there's that investigation that causes a whole stir behind the scenes. And now there's even more like when Borna Sosa shows up to training, he's like, what is going on? Yeah. Like all of these things add up. And this leads to between the poor results and the conflict between coach and director of football and all the Mislintats outbursts, whatever, like this leads to him being fired. Another good part of this, I know we got to take a break. Another good part of this is after all this happens, Ajax says on their website, like they, they use language yes. that makes it sound yes. like it is a mutually agreed upon thing that Miss Lintat's <laughs> yep. like, yeah, this isn't the right fit. And Ajax is like, yeah, it's not really the right fit. And then later on, they delete the part of the, the phrasing that made it sound like it was mutual to make it very yeah. clear that Miss Lintat. So it's just like over and over again from messaging to hires to activity that happens inside the club to text, like all this stuff. It's just it's just not good, guys. It's just not J good. Joe, what was your read on the changing of that language? Because I saw some reports that it was like Miss Lintot did not agree that it was mutual, so he wanted that struck. And I saw other ones that this is where I tend to believe is that Ajax saw the response to that and they wanted it to be even stronger. <laughs> like, no, 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 we fired him. He was not the right guy. Like, And so they made it less mutual and more like, haha, we took action. Did you get a sense of which one of those felt more likely to you? I would lean towards your end as well, but okay. it's also possible that it could be both. Like both sides are still just heated. Mm -hmm. And Miss Lintat says, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be associated with you anymore. And I yeah. like, good, we don't want that either. Let's move on. It's, 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 also, bizarre. it's bizarre. It's also telling as to how things have gone for them that like, I, I think they had to put out another statement that was like, oh, and this is separate from the investigation about the yes. sort of influence transfer conflict of interest. Uh, we are still conducting that investigation, but we have also parted ways. So I, I don't know how much is going to come of that investigation since the person who made the decision is no longer there. But I, I, I did think it was interesting that they had to make clear that is the decision to fire him is separate from the investigation into uh, uh, th those sort of issues with transfers. As someone who dabbles in soccer PR, there's nothing quite like a subsequent statement yes. to clarify a previous <laughs> statement. It always shows strength. It always does. Um, we do need to take a quick break. When we come back a bit more on the problems here, maybe talk a bit more about the fans and what's next for this team back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the, 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 uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a 
vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. Uh, we've outlined, Taylor, a lot of the problems mm. at Ajax. They are myriad, and clearly there is a lot going on in the front office that needs to be fixed. What about the uh, the fans uh, out in the stadium yeah. who uh, are garnering a reputation for uh, abandoning games? This is, this is becoming a bit of an Eredivisie thing of late, of last season as well. Obviously, this happening last weekend with Ajax fans. They are very unhappy with the state of play of the team, obviously. Yeah. They want change at the club. Are any of their actions justified? Obviously, it's tricky to uh, to justify having a game abandoned, having riot police called in. It's a little mm. disruptive for what is, after yeah. all, you know, a, a game. A sport? Yeah, say? a game. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. I think, like, a lot of the coverage I have seen has been very much leading with the fan response throwing the pitch like throwing the flares on the pitch uh, endangering the safety of others and i think that definitely extends to after the game when ultras smash windows at the stadium they get into the club shop i think they they do get access to a few of the offices uh i would definitely not condone that the abandonment of the match itself i think is interesting because there is a a protocol in place in the Netherlands. We've seen these issues in the past, and that's part of why the protocol exists. It's similar to uh, foul and abusive language from supporters where you get the announcement. Then there's the match abandonment match. Like they stop the match. Then there's the match abandonment. And from what I read, like the first step of the process is triggered if something is thrown on the pitch. And I believe a, like a solitary cup was thrown on that felt sort of coordinated as in we are doing this deliberately to follow the protocol to make sure that the match is abandoned. It didn't seem from what I saw, like players were hit, things were thrown at the players. It felt like almost there was a coordinated effort to not do that, but make sure that the match was disrupted such that it was then abandoned. And I think for the supporters, it feels like they have not really been heard that they, their values and the values of the club have not really been respected and that there doesn't really seem to be much in the way of structure to bring about those changes and to get the club back to where they want to be. I have many, many times said on this show, don't throw things on the pitch. It's not a grown up thing to do. And I'm not going to like negate that with a but or however. I just think that if you are supporters of a club like Ajax who have this sort of this DNA, this identity, and you feel like it's being stripped away by people who don't understand it or people who aren't honoring it or people who aren't working with you and and sort of, I don't know, bringing about the, the kind of family atmosphere or whatever it may be. 
I understand the frustration and I understand the willingness to do what it takes to stop and make very public these problems. And put it this way, I I don't think we're talking about this issue if that match isn't abandoned. We're definitely not talking about the structure of IAX and what's gone wrong. Maybe we would have a thing at the as we did at the weekend review, but like maybe we would have a like, oh, IAX are really struggling this season. Really weird. Really weird that they're not doing well. I guess we'll watch them in the Europa League. On to the next thing. So in some ways, this has gotten global eyeballs on a situation that I think not many people were like fully aware of or fully understanding. So I don't condone what they did, but I guess I understand why they did it. Yeah, it is. You make a good point that they they have actually um, escalated the story internationally. I suppose with this, not that we condone the actions at all, but um, I mean, I, I've been involved in many protests at Wimbledon. To mention them again, uh, AFC Wimbledon was basically formed as a means of protest, uh, and uh, in Italy last year, going to games where uh, I went to the Italian Cup final, the Inter Milan fans were silent for the first half. And we didn't know why. They didn't even tell us why. It was, they were protesting against a, a scheduling or something. It didn't really make a ripple in the press. But they were still, you know, there's some protests that have more impact than others, I suppose, is the uh, yeah, I is mean, what I'm getting at. Ba- Barry Glendening of The Guardian is fond of, of poking fun at supporters with the uh, supporters organized march yeah. uh, to protest game they were going to attend by attending game. Like yeah. they like like when it's a protest march to the stadium where they then abandon the protest to watch the game does really convey the idea that they are no. fully angry, whereas I guess throwing a, a bunch of flares on the pitch definitely does. Well, that's that's it. The only real means of protest you have against a club is yep. not showing up yep. because the thing they need from you is your money yeah, uh, and your support. So uh, not enough supporters groups maybe appreciate that. They don't want to miss the action, I suppose. It's difficult. And, it, and it does sound like if there's a points deduction, that will be not a thing that supporters are concerned about. Uh, matches behind closed doors or penalties or whatever they may be, there may be, it sounds like supporters are, are willing to sort of ride the short-term penalty and punitive action if it brings about sort of public shaming and public changing. And I don't know if it will. And I think a lot of that has to do with that original quote. No one is really the boss at the club at the moment, but everyone is a little bit. It feels like it's no one fully knows the best way to proceed. And it doesn't seem like there is a figure who can really step in and lead the way through. Edwin Vandersar, the reason we haven't talked about him, had a brain hemorrhage, I believe, while he was on vacation this summer in Croatia. So he is still recuperating. There was some talk about bringing him back, uh, but obviously that is is not possible at present. Uh, as I mentioned, Overmars, some fans want him back, but he is with another club in uh, Antwerp, I think you said, Ryan, and, and, it, and it's not likely he comes back. So the other name, which I'm still sort of fascinated by, is Louis van Hall. He has publicly said he's not interested, that he... His health wouldn't permit him to do it. Some reporting said that privately he is more interested, but wants certain guarantees about control, player signings and the like. And that to me seems like it could go well, could also go disastrously, but also is a problem because the board doesn't want to give up that control. And the board has people in place who I think were never expected to be there or never expected to be decision makers <laughs> at this level. And now here we are with things at a bit of an impasse. Yeah, one of those people that I don't yeah. think anybody thought was going to be on the board, Jan van Houst, who uh, in 2021... <laughs> a name we was, all knew, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in 2021 was on a television program called Expedite Robinson. Now, I regret that I didn't do as much digging into this reality TV show as um, as I could have before the show started. But I think he was also a striker for the Columbus crew, by the way, Expedite I, Robinson. I could I, be wrong. I, I, it was him, Stern John, and Expedite <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> oh, I hate how good that got me. Um, that, was, that was really, really good. Uh, former player, 
uh, TV sort of pundit analyst and is doing some leadership development on the side back in 2021, is on this reality TV show for fun. And fast forward to earlier this year, ends up being promoted to the chief executive of IX's board, also chair of the board, sorry, chief executive at IX and chair of the board. That is his title as released by IX, or again, earlier this year. Um, this is not supposed to be a permanent thing for IX, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be. Alex Kroos is scheduled to take over in March of 2023. But again, like limbo, 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 limbo for IX. It really has been either limbo or uh, detrimental hires for them ever since Obermars left in, in 2022 or or was, was forced to leave in 2022. So again, so many different people in weird spots, not a lot of clarity as far as how Things immediately get better. I mean, to be honest, with the transfer window closed, all they can hope is that the talent starts to win out and things calm down behind the scenes. But again, just another name that's ending up in a weird spot. Um, just for clarity, Expedite Robinson is the Dutch version of Survivor, uh, yes. where they go on an island. Um, yes. We do get most of our reality TV either from Holland or the UK, so that will be why they have it. It's not pithily named. We'll give that. Hans Zimmer does the theme tune. That's quite impressive. What MLS doesn't he own. do the theme tune for <laughs> at this point? Yeah, <laughs> It's true, it's true. But we, we've sort of touched on the future and what may mm-hmm. be the path ahead, Taylor, for this team. What do we think? Do they get themselves out of this hole quickly or do they settle into the fact that, yes, they are a giant, but they're perhaps on the continental stage they have overachieved given their means this is a league after all that doesn't have saudi investment it doesn't have the the cash of the premier league or even other top five leagues in europe um do they find their way back to the top table quickly i suppose is the question and if so how do they find their back their way back yes do they find their way back quickly i don't know it's ix they're an institution i agree with joe like there's no chance this club is getting relegated there's no chance this club is staying mid-table mediocre for a prolonged period of time that's just not in their blueprint that's not in their dna the question then becomes well how do they change things i think joe is right the transfer window is closed things have to settle um i i I can't remember is steen still there he has not been sacked correct because they fired everybody else yes that's correct uh he also seems like a not particularly popular figure with supporters and even with players some players i think did back him when miss lintot came in and threatened to sack him others i think were maybe a little bit more quiet on that one and so it doesn't feel like he is necessarily the one who will turn them around maybe he will uh but i i think that they are publicly talking about which manager could change the fortunes of the club tells you about where things lie if you're looking for silver linings, if you're looking for anything positive, one thing I did think was interesting, um, e, uh, I think maybe a year or two ago, Ajax launched a two-year program uh, in which former players spend time working in different departments, ranging from commercial to legal as well as media. So to your earlier point about Vandasar Ryan, that feels like a thing that they've identified as have people start in different departments where they get expertise in different areas and then move them around so they get lots of different expertise and Taylor, move their way this up. Is, um, this is just another Dutch reality show. It's Undercover Boss. I mean, yeah. I would kind of watch that. I wouldn't mind <laughs> seeing how things work at different Ajax departments or maybe more accurately how things don't work. Uh, but their first group of former players uh, to participate in the program uh, are currently in it and moving through it, uh, including uh, CM De Jong, Daniel De Ritter. Uh, there's a few other names in there too. So it does seem like the the idea of former players former ix personnel will be the way to sort of shape the club and continue to steer the club that remains a priority but then also it does seem like they have recognized what went wrong in giving over mars kind of complete control and van der complete control and having 
like departments that basically weren't very empowered. And so it seems to me that they're trying to kind of go about having connections and stronger relations, but also stronger familiarity between all the different departments so that there is a more unified approach that features more people than just one or two. So when things go wrong, you can sort of figure out the weaknesses, make some changes, but not have to kind of reshape the the club, reshape the structure uh, and move into FC Amsterdam territory instead of Ajax of Amsterdam. Oh boy. Joe, any thoughts on the path ahead for this team? Yeah, it... it... <sighs> The one thing I keep coming back yep, to. That's correct, the, Joe. That is correct. Those noises are correct. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty for Ajax, but I, I, I do agree with Taylor. They're going to come back. One of the things that I think is most interesting about all of this, though, is, and Ryan, you kind of have, have hinted at this and touched on it a little bit, is their status in the European game, I do not think will ever come back to where it's been. And this whole chaotic, messy situation pushes them even a little bit further away from where they've been. They've not been past the round of 16 in the Champions League more than two times since 2000. One, The last one, the most recent one, was that semifinal run in 2018-19 where they lost to Tottenham. Like Their status as a European giant is not intact anymore. And that's not really a byproduct necessarily of this whole situation. But Ajax, for them, I talked about the margins being small for how they compete year over year and how they transition their squad from one group to the next. The margins are small there, but their margins in, in terms of competing with Europe and still being relevant and still holding on to some of that from the past, from the 90s, from the 70s, from the 60s, like the margins are even smaller there. Like they don't have the wiggle room to be going through periods like this if they want to maintain their stature. Now, maybe they're realistic enough to realize what's going on around them and that there are certain things outside of their control and they have certain disadvantages as a club in the Netherlands compared to a team in England or, or even a team in some of the other big four leagues. But still, I think that's another interesting part of this, that Ajax's status has changed, even as maybe they're trying to like push themselves down a few rungs with all these poor decisions as well. It has indeed. An interesting road ahead for the Eredivisie side. Taylor, any final thoughts? Jerry Springer star before we uh, close this one up? You look like you're very pensive well, and lost in thought. It's funny because like my first response is to like, I, I disagree with Joe. And then I think about it. and I'm like, no, he's right. Like, I mean, I, I think it, it is the conversation we've had about Ajax and the Dutch League for a while that you can have those moments where they put it together. Maybe some other teams are in a downturn of form and, and they make that run. But we're still talking about a team that like that run was to the semifinal and then they lose in pretty dramatic fashion. Like and, and so Ajax, I think, will always be like a protected class almost that like no matter how bad things get it's still they are this institution who are so formative for so many clubs and so influential uh like despite their relative size uh that like i think they will always be a club with appeal they will have they will always have players who want to play for them but to joe's point you know you can't compete with premier league money you can't compete with oil money but that's also a thing that supporters roundly reject and and they want to be a fan owned club more than anything else. And that seems to be the priority. So I, I don't know if they will ever achieve the high heights that they have achieved in the in the past, maybe not the recent past, but the past. But I also think that that might not be the priority. I think the priority is playing the way we want to play, having an established DNA and identity but having that be a productive identity that isn't rooted in backroom doors and certain individuals and rather a sort of unified approach that that makes sense and produces logical results and logical players. And I, I think it's possible for them to get to that point. Very possible. Very likely that they will. It's just 
I think, an interesting crossroads for them in how they proceed and how they make the decisions and what decisions they end up making. So that is the big thing. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this journey. Let us know your thoughts on Ajax and the situation there in the Netherlands. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you to Joe for suggesting this as a big thing topic. I really enjoyed this one and I really loved getting into the weeds on it, even if they were confusing and required an understanding of companies and shares and who owns what and who owns what when. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much, Joe, for making Taylor use his brain. Yep, happy to do it. I don't like it. (laughs) Listener, thank you very much indeed once again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed next week as always. But for now, bye. Bye.